think you may be seated this morning. And uh, wow, what a great opportunity we had this morning to worship together. God is good. And all the time, God is good. Man, I appreciate you guys being here this morning. Appreciate uh, everything we got to do this morning to worship the name of Jesus. Are you thankful for Jesus? Amen. Amen. God is good all the time. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. We're in our, our seventh week in our study in Exodus. And so I would encourage you to uh, open up your Bible, or maybe you're looking on your app, one of your apps on your phone or your iPad possibly. And uh, if you're interested, all the notes are on the YouVersion uh, Bible app there. So you can just go to the events and search for Hallmark, and all the notes will be there this morning, uh, really every uh, Sunday morning. But this is our seventh week walking through the book of Exodus. And so I want to just kind of take a moment to look back on two statements that we made last week that from what the feedback I got, these were kind of the two statements that really stuck out, the two statements that really spoke to people. So I just want to give them to you again. They'll be on the screen, so maybe you want to write them down if, if you weren't here last week. And if you weren't here last week, you can always go to the website and watch the videos. The message is, is posted online so you can watch and catch up with us. But here's the first one. When, when we live with fear rather than faith... We forget the faithfulness of God. Let me, let me say it again. When we live with fear rather than faith, we forget the faithfulness of God. And we saw that in the nation of Israel because if you remember in our study we've been going through, in Exodus chapter 2, the nation of Israel is in bondage to the nation of Egypt and they cry out to God, life is terrible, you know, poor me, God, we need help. God hears their cries. He sends Moses to deliver them. Then we see in, in, in Exodus chapter 16, when life gets difficult, they forgot how faithful God was. And they took their eyes off the faithfulness of God, and they lacked faith. They began to fear. And they said in, in Exodus 16, man, everything was so good back in Egypt. Why did you bring us out here to the desert to die? Because we had all the food and all the water we could ever want. And because they had failed to remember the faithfulness of God, it led them to fear. And so when we lack faith, it leads to fear, which leads us to forget how good God is. The second statement we made was, worry is having a conversation with yourself about something you can't control. Prayer is having a conversation with God about something he already controls. If you were here last Sunday, I made a statement similar to that, and then Dave, Pastor Dave, he made it sound a little better and tweaked it, so I stole his quote, okay? So we're really quoting Dave today. But I like this. Worry is having a conversation with yourself about something you can't control. Prayer is having a conversation with God about something he already controls. So worry is simply taking control back from God and acting like we are in control when the reality we are not in control. Can, can you say with me this morning, I'm not in control? Let's say that together. I'm not in control. That was hard for some of you, I know. Turn it over to God. Release it to Him. We've seen in the last few weeks the faithfulness of God. We've seen how God has provided. We've seen how God has delivered. And all through this study of the Old Testament, remember, like Moses delivered the nation of Israel, but really Moses was just pointing to one who would come later who is the ultimate deliverer, and that was Jesus. 
the, the lamb, the Passover lamb, that, that the shed blood of the lamb that, that saved the families from the death of the firstborn son. The lamb there saved them. The blood of the lamb saved them. But the lamb there, the Passover lamb, is just a picture of the Passover lamb, the lamb of God, the one we just sang about, Jesus. And so all of these point to Jesus. Now, about every six or eight weeks, we try to have uh, the staff come over to our house on Sunday evening just to kind of hang out and and get to know, because mostly all the time, all our conversation revolves around church and what we're going to do and what's the next step. And and so we just kind of have no agenda. We just hang out and eat. Sounds like a good Baptist meeting, right? And and we just kind of hang out. But in case you got, men, in case you don't know, I'm going to give you some advice. So maybe take a a mental note, because I know you're probably not writing notes, but take a mental note. You should never, as a married man, invite a group of people over to your house without first, con- you know, having a conversation with your wife. Can I get an amen, ladies? Right? Okay, man, some of you know. Some of you learn by experience. And some of you younger guys out here, I'm trying to teach you so you don't have that experience, okay? Now, I'll be honest, in, in my eyes, our house is never dirty. It's, I mean, it's... I mean, honestly, my wife does a great job, and, and I don't like things laying around, so I, I usually pick up after myself. If you would have come over and looked in my, when our daughter lived at home before she was at college, now that's a different story. Okay, you just shut the door and whatever. Most of, most of the time our house is pretty, you know, in order, in my opinion. But if we're having guests over, does my opinion count? hurt me deeply that you would say that. <laughs> so this afternoon, I say we, but we know it's not we. We will be making sure that our house is in order. But if you walk into my house, you're going to learn a lot about me, and you're going to learn a lot about my family. If you walk into my office at home, you're going you're to see pictures of my family and our kids growing up, and I have this great picture of my daughter. It was, I think, in like 2004, we were on a trip to Ohio with the, with the teenagers, and she's in the, the church bus, and she has a cowboy hat on. Why? I don't know. Uh, I guess because we're from Texas. But, uh, and then right below that is a picture of my son in, in, in uh, third grade playing football. And then over here on this wall, you're going to see a, a great cowboy's emblem, okay? Dallas Cowboys emblem, all right? And then right below that, you're going to see uh, a George Brett plaque. Anybody know who George Brett is? Okay, George Brett was my favorite baseball player growing up. Then you see all these artifacts from, from Kenya. And then you see pictures and pictures and pictures of my family. And most likely, you're going to see some Kansas basketball stuff. Okay? We're not going to talk about that today, though. It was, a, it was a rough night last night. Moving on. But as you walk through my house, my house reflects who I am. Your house reflects who you are. Probably, if we were going to be real honest, my house more clearly reflects my wife. But we're, for, for the sake of illustration, our, our house, my house reflects who I am. Today, we're in, in Exodus 25, we're going to look at the house of God, the tabernacle. And just as my house reflects who I am, God's house reflects who he is. Or it reflects the great I am. It's, it's a revelation of who he is. If you were here last year, we, went, uh, we did a seven-week study uh, on the tabernacle. And so, interestingly enough, a, a year ago on this Sunday, we, we spoke about, the, we introduced the tabernacle, which is what we're 
where we're at in our journey this morning. And let me read just a, a, about a, a statement about the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the greatest of all the Old Testament types of Christ. It was one great object lesson of spiritual truth. That's A.B. Simpson. Robbie Gallaty said this, To study the tabernacle is to study Jesus. To study the tabernacle is to study Jesus. And so tabernacle literally just means dwelling place. That's why we would say the house of God. The tabernacle was the dwelling place. So a year after Egypt, uh, the, Egyptian, uh, the Israelites got out of Egypt, one year later, God came to Moses and gave them instructions to build a tabernacle. Now, you've heard the word, I'm sure, tabernacle and temple. And tabernacle and temple are really interchangeable. They both mean dwelling place. But the tabernacle most often is going to reference to the tent, the temporary dwelling place of God. The temple, when Solomon built the temple, then would refer to it was the exact same thing other than one was a temporary structure, one was a permanent structure. Okay, so a dwelling place, the tabernacle, as they wandered through the wilderness, God wanted to dwell with his people. And, and you, need to, you need to not just pass over that quickly. Listen to that statement. God wanted to dwell with his people. The same is true today. God wants to dwell with you. Let's take a look at the diagram of the temple or the tabernacle. So you can see here, as you look from right to left on the screen, is the entrance. So there's one way to enter. And so every time they would pack up and move to a different area in the desert, they would set this tabernacle back up exactly how God wanted them to set it up. And the 12 tribes of Israel would be camped around the tabernacle. It was the center of the camp. So the entrance gate, there was one way to get in it. And as we walk through it, every element, every part of the tabernacle is going to point to one person. And that person is the person of Jesus Christ. So there's the entrance gate, there's the altar of burnt offerings, uh, the, the bronze laver. And if you'll notice up at the top of this diagram, there's this outer courtyard, a holy place, and a holy of holies. The outer courtyard was where normal people like you and I could go into. The holy place, there was a veil there, so that purple line there is a veil, and it separated the normals from the priest. And the priest could go into the holy place, and that's where the table of showbread, you think of Jesus, what did Jesus say? I'm the bread of life. He was, this was pointing to Jesus, the menorah, or the, the candlestick. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Again, everything pointed to Jesus, the altar of incense, the prayers that would go up. On one day a year, on the Day of Atonement, one person from one tribe could enter into what you see there, the Holy of Holies, behind the second veil. That's where the Ark of Covenant was, and that's where the presence of God dwelt. God wanted to dwell among his people, but one person on one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, could go into the presence of God and be a mediator between God and man, and man and God. But over the tabernacle was the cloud that represented God. A cloud by day, fire by night. When that cloud would leave, guess what the nation of Israel would do? Leave. They would follow the presence and the power of God. Right, so that's going to lay kind of the groundwork for what we're going to read this morning. So turn in Exodus chapter 25. You're not there already. And we're going to read 
the first nine verses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly. With his heart you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, the fine linen and goat's hair, ramskin, dyed, red badger skins, and acacia wood. I'm glad our offerings don't look like that today. But oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil, for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And here's the key verse that I want you to underline if it's not underlined in your, in your Bible this morning or highlight. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may, that I may dwell among them. God wanted to dwell among his people. Goes on to say, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the furnishings, just so you shall make it. In other words, if God was saying, listen, I want you to build me a sanctuary, a place that I can dwell with you, and I'm going to give you the exact specifications on how to build it. We're not going to take the time today, but if you continue to read through Exodus, you're going to see specific details on how to build the tabernacle, and also every element in the tabernacle, and has very specific guidelines of how God would want it built. So I just want to point out four things this morning on your outline, four truths about the dwelling place or the tabernacle. Number one is this, the tabernacle is a visual dwelling for God. It was a visual dwelling for God. That's where we said the cloud would represent God, and the holy of holies would be the presence and the power of God. You see, God wanted to fellowship with mankind, and when God created mankind all the way back in Genesis, in the, in the beginning, God created, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God created man and woman from the dust of the earth. He breathed his very life into them. He created them in his image, and he created them for fellowship. And when God created Adam and Eve, there was no sin. And God told them, Here's what I want you to do. Oh, and by the way, there's one thing I don't want you to do. Don't eat of this particular tree. And Adam and Eve, if you know the story, decided after the serpent, Satan deceived them, they ate of the tree. And because they sinned, the fellowship was broken. And because of their sin was passed to me, as Ben quoted earlier this morning, we have all sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God, that our separation from God is because of our sin. Just like it was for the nation of Israel. But you'll see it over and over in Scripture. Even though God's presence left because of their sin, God still had a plan. You realize when Adam and Eve messed up, God wasn't like, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do now. It didn't surprise God. God always had a plan. We said this a few weeks ago, that sin always leads to death and destruction. And because of Adam and Eve's sin, now a sacrifice would have to be made to atone for their sin. And this tabernacle was a way for God to dwell with sinful people. Let's keep walking through. So number two, the tabernacle is a lesson of authority. The tabernacle is a lesson of authority. Exodus chapter 25, we already read, verse 1 and 2. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they may bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take an offering. Then again, verses 8 and 9. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. 
according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the furnishings, just so you shall make it. And I read this commentary this week regarding, because you could probably get bogged down into the reading of all the instructions of everything you're supposed to build and thinking, why is this here in Scripture and why is all this detail here? And let me read a statement for you regarding that. To this end, God gave very specific instructions about the size of each component and the materials the Israelites were to use. These seemingly cumbersome rules were not intended to burden the people, but to show God's unquestionable authority and holiness. And listen, here's the key part of this statement. And he was going to emphasize that people could only come to God on God's terms, not their own. Listen to that. He wanted to emphasize God wanted to dwell with them, but they could only come to God on his terms. Think about that, and, and we're going we're gonna to get back to that. Now, some of you have, are involved in connect groups. And so connect groups meet all over uh, the building at 930. If you're not in a connect group, let me encourage you to get into a connect group. It's a great opportunity to, guess what? Connect. And also to dig deeper into the scripture. Now, we are currently going through, I think we just moved in to Leviticus, but we've been walking through Exodus. And in our reading this week, we have been reading, part of our reading plan, if you're not aware, is just right straight out of this gospel project, Daily Discipleship Guide. In our Daily Discipleship Guide, actually this Wednesday, we read Exodus chapter number 39. So today we're in 25, and we're getting the instructions, the beginning instructions of the tabernacle. In chapter 39, which we read this week on Wednesday, Moses is inspecting the work if they did it like God asked them to do it. Again, talking about all the rules or the regulations or the specifications. And here's, here's what your guide said. So I would encourage you, if you're not in a, in a connect group, jump into a connect group next week. If you don't know which one to get into, send me an email or call me. I'll help coach you on where you can, which class you can go into. Also, in our connect groups, uh, we, we sell, we sell, I'll say it that way, there's uh, tables everywhere with these on there, and we're trusting that you're going to put five bucks in there. But, you know, if you don't have $5 and you want to get, get one, just grab one, okay? And these have our reading, but it follows exactly what we're doing in our connect groups. And this is what it said this week. He wanted to make sure that they had done exactly as God had commanded. Not a single corner could be cut. God was worth their full obedience, and that is what they needed to offer him before a single offering could be given in this new structure. In a similar way, our faithful obedience reflects our love for, our love for and value of God. We too are called to give God our best, best of our time, our energy, and our resources, and to do so with joy. Nothing less will do. This is an act of our worship. This is a sacrifice of praise. And so why did God build and have all these specific instructions? So that they would know, hey, you're going to come to me on my terms. There's one way to get to God. All right, let's continue on. Number three, the tabernacle is a picture of God's redemptive plan. The tabernacle is a picture of God's redemptive plan. Again, God was not surprised. He didn't have to come up with a plan B when Adam and Eve messed up in the garden. So t turn in your Bible to John chapter 1. Turn, turn to John chapter 1. 
If you're new to the Bible, just go right quite a ways, okay? So John is like the fourth book in the New Testament. Just keep going and going. You're going to go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you'll get to the Gospel of John. Okay, the scripture will be on the screen for us as well. So John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Okay, so as we think about this verse, this word, this word, word, okay, capitalized word, could also be interchanged with the word truth. In the beginning was the truth, and, and the truth was with God, and the truth was God. But it also, because it's capitalized, makes me think that maybe it's talking about a person. Because look, look at verse number one. It's the, the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But it sh- there's a transition that takes place in verse two. Instead of saying Word or truth, it says He. So He is the Word and the truth. It just changed here. So are you, are you tracking with me? It was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without, nothing, without Him, nothing was made that was made. So maybe we should dig into the Scripture a little bit to see that who is the Word, or who is the truth, who is this person who is the Creator, who was with God, who is God, who not, there's nothing that was made without him. Who is this person? Well, let's skip down to verse number 14, and it'll tell us. Verse number 14, John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word, again the same word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And it's speaking of who is the word, who is the truth, who is this person, the creator, who is God? It's it's the beautiful name we sing about. It's the powerful name we sing about. It's the name of, say it together, Jesus. Jesus. And, and it goes on the rest of the verse, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, and there's that word, truth. So let's go back to verse 3, and let's, uh, excuse me, verses 1 and 2, and let's exchange the word, word, for Jesus, Okay? Let's, let's uh, see, read it differently, okay? Verse, let's read 1 through 3. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through who? Jesus. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Do you understand why we sing this morning the powerful name of Jesus? You read in Acts There is no other name by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. Let's look back at the tabernacle again. Again, we're unfolding the redemptive plan of the Lord. He wasn't surprised that Adam and Eve sinned. He told them if you sin, you deserve death. There's going to be separation from God and man. But God is always going to redeem his people. God is always going to make a way. And so the very first thing that points to Jesus in the tabernacle is the gate. There was one way to get to God, and it was through the gate. Maybe think of a few verses. Let me read them for you. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father 
except through me. What is the way to get to God? Jesus. The only way. The only way to get to God is through Jesus. Jesus also said this in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 9. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever come before me, thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in, out, and find pasture. To meet God, to talk with God, to worship God. Listen, you no longer have to go to a tabernacle or a tent. How do I get to God? Through Jesus. And that's why in Romans, Paul said that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God hath raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. So the Old Testament tabernacle points on a way to get to God. And there was a sacrifice that had to be made. And you had to come through the gate. And there was, there was standards in order to get to God. And the standard is still the same today. I get to God through the work of Jesus Christ. He paid, listen, he paid my debt. The death that I deserve he died in my place. The sacrifice that needed to be made to atone for my sins, he became the sacrifice. The lamb we talked about at Passover, who had to be sacrificed, the blood had to be shed, and it had to be on the post that saved the nation of Israel, it was just pointing to Jesus. And that's why John the Baptist, when, when he saw Jesus come walking, what did, what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the great news for you this morning is very simple, that, that God wants to dwell with you. That verse we read in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Guess what that word dwelt could be translated as? Tabernacle. Jesus became flesh so that he could tabernacle with us. So that he could dwell with us. Here's the great news, though. I don't have to go to a tabernacle to talk to God. We sang that song, the veil was torn before you. If you didn't hear those words, we sang those, those words this morning. What, what was that reference to? That was when Jesus was hanging on the cross. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said it was finished and the earthquake took place and the veil that we showed on the tabernacle that separated the normal people and the only one day of a week or one day of the year, the day of atonement, one person from one tribe could go into the very presence of God and make prayers on behalf of the nation of Israel. When Jesus died, the temple veil was torn in two. And what did that mean? What did that represent? It meant that I don't have to go to a priest to say my prayers. It meant that I have direct access to God through the work and person of Jesus Christ. So when I pray anywhere, I pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen. In other words, my prayers are no different than your prayers. 
You don't need me necessarily to pray for you. You have direct access to God. You see, in the Old Testament, God wanted to dwell among his people. Today, God dwells not among us, but in us. Look at number four. Believers are now the dwelling place of God. Believers are now the dwelling place of God. What that means is, if you have come to God through Jesus, at the moment you give your life to Christ, God places his spirit in you. And you are now the temple of God. You are now the tabernacle of God. What amazing assurance that is for us. When something bad happens in my life, I don't have to wait to Sunday to go to church and talk to God. When something bad happens in my life, I don't have to go to another person and tell them to pray on my behalf. When something bad happens in my life and when life gets difficult, which it often does, because I gave my life to Jesus Christ at the age of 17, he said he would never leave me, he would never forsake me. I called out, I called out to him and said, I need Jesus. And because of that moment, when something bad happens in my life, I can just cry out to God. Because my body is his temple. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that you're a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. At the moment I gave my life to Christ, he put his Spirit in me, and now my body is the temple of God. And it's really why I should take care of God's temple. You don't hear this a lot in a Baptist church because we like to eat way too much. We talk about all the, the other sins that, you know, mess up your body. We don't talk about eating so much. And, and I'm going to move past it really quick, too. <laughs> Anybody on a diet right now? Anybody stuck with it through January? I hate, I hate my life right now, just to be honest. You know, I'm, I'm trying to train for this hike that's coming up in August for, for, through Manna. And uh, I won't tell you, I'll tell you about it at some point. But so I, I got to lose weight. And uh, I would like to make it a spiritual thing that I want to take care of the body. But really, I mean, it should be, but it's not for me. And last night, my wife and I went out to eat uh, with some other couples. And uh, we made this decision because I need to lose weight that we're going to split a meal. I was so disappointed after we got done. I mean, I had like half a piece of chicken and a few green beans. That was it. I got back in the truck and I said, I am starving. So if this is what it takes to lose weight, I'm fine the way I am. But no. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says the same thing. In what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my 
people. God went to these extremes in the Old Testament to make his presence available to them. They still had to go to him through the gate. All the sacrifice had to be made. One person on one day of the year could go into the Holy of Holies and pray on behalf of the people and to enter in the presence of God. And yet we have such greater opportunity every moment as a believer I'm connected to God. Here's, here's a sad but true statement, maybe. You're as connected to God as you choose to be. You're as connected to God as you choose to be. Because as a follower of Jesus, when I placed my faith in him and he gave me the gift of the Holy Spirit, then he made my body his temple, his tabernacle, his dwelling place. So I have direct access all the time to the creator of the universe And shame on me for not taking advantage of that more often. I love this statement. God went from among, it's it's on the bottom of your bulletin. God went from among his people in a place, referencing the tabernacle, to beside his people in a person, representing Jesus, to in his people, the temple. This morning, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, then recognize the gift that he's given you. His very presence is with you always. And when life gets difficult, you have direct access to God. When life gets frustrating, you have access to God. When you're mad that your meal was not so much, you can give it to God. But let me share with you for a moment, maybe today you heard me reference when I was 17 that I gave my life to Christ. And maybe you've never done that. And so I got great news for you today. You heard us quote that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, that our sin separates us from a holy, righteous God. But God came through the person of his son to die on the cross Take the penalty of my sin, your sin, so that he could dwell in his people. And all you have to do, Ephesians says, for by grace you are saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works. I don't have to be good enough, thank God, to get salvation. I don't have to do a list of things to get to God. The only way I can get to God is that I place my faith in the door, the gate, the way, the truth, the person of Jesus Christ. And how do I, so how do you do that? It's simple. You could call it a prayer, but it's just a conversation between you and God. It's you saying, God, I believe that Jesus died in my place. I understand and confess that I'm a sinner. And I'm asking that you would make my body the temple of God. That you would dwell in me, with me that this body would be your tabernacle. Would you close your eyes for a moment? Maybe this morning God has revealed to you that you've never made your body his tabernacle. And I'm going to challenge you with everything I can this morning. If you have not made your body the tabernacle of God, the dwelling place of God, where he so wants to be. He wants to dwell with you so much that he sent his son to die in in your place. 
If you have not done that this morning, can I just share with you real quickly how to do that? You can do it right at your seat this morning. It, it's as simple as I'm going to make it sound. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that God that raised Jesus from the dead, they shall be saved. So right now, in, in, in this moment, would anyone say, and just, just be honest with me, I'm not going to call you out. Everyone's eyes are closed. I'm looking around. But if anyone would say this morning, John, I, I don't think I've ever made my body the tabernacle of God. But I want to do that today. Would you just put your hand up for a moment? Just put it up. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to call your name out. Just put your hand up right now. John, I have never made my body the tabernacle of God. Just put your hand up right now. Just, just put it up. Raise it up. Leave it up for a moment. I'm, I'm looking around. Sometimes it's hard for me to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? One with his hand right here this morning. Anyone else? Just put your hand up. Another one right there. You can put your hands down. Here's what I want you to do. Right where you're at this morning, if you're serious about it and you, you want to turn your life over to God and ask God to be your body to be his dwelling place, then I'm going to ask you just to pray a prayer to him. You can repeat the words after me or you can just put them in your own words right where you're at this morning you don't you don't have to say it out loud just in the quietness of your heart you could say something like this lord i i know i'm a sinner i believe that jesus died for me i repent of my sins god i want you to dwell with me I want you to save me. I want you to forgive me. And I want to live for you. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I'm going to ask you again, maybe you didn't raise your hand earlier, maybe you did. But if you prayed that prayer this morning, would you just put your hand up for a moment? Just acknowledge, I, I prayed that prayer this morning. Just put it up right where you're at. Thank you, there's one, there's two, there's three. Anyone else, just put your hand up. Two there. Another one? Anyone else? You can put your hands down. And what I want you to do this morning, the next step for you, if you prayed that prayer in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to have a time of worship. We're going to sing another song. I love this song. Christ be all around me. Christ is everywhere. He's in us. And there's going to be a few of us standing this morning. We're going to be facing the audience. And I would encourage you, if you prayed that prayer this morning and you met in business with God, that you would walk down here, you would shake someone's hand, and you would say, I made my body his tabernacle. We would love to open up the Bible, share with you how you can know and have confidence in the decision you just made. God, I thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray that you would just bless this next few minutes. This is an opportunity for us to worship you. It's an opportunity for us to seek you again. Lord, it's an opportunity for us to make a commitment as we go out in the world this week to share Christ with people we know. And God, I pray that 
if there's people in here, those that have raised their hand this morning, that you would give them the courage, Lord, to come forward and talk to somebody about it. Before we stand, keep your eyes closed for another moment. I just want to ask one more question. Would anybody in here say this morning, John, I know the Lord dwells in me, but just let's be honest, I'm not really relying on Him as much as I know I should. If that's you, would you just put your hand up for a moment this morning? A lot of us. A lot of us. I'm going I'm to challenge you this morning when we stand. Maybe you need to come forward this morning and just see God. If you want to pray by yourself, we're not going to interrupt you. But if you want us to pray with you, we would love to do that. But let's use this next few minutes as we worship in song to take care of business whatever that might look like for you. Would you stand with me as we sing this song this morning? Let's worship.